from Silicon Valley, the heart of startup land. It's Getting to Alpha, the show about creating innovative, compelling experiences that people love. And now, here's your host, game designer, entrepreneur, and startup coach, Amy Jo Kim. Jeff Gothel is a lean UX expert who specializes in enterprise software and change management. In his new book, Sense and Respond, Jeff and his co-author, Josh Seiden, offer up tools and techniques that large organizations can use to listen to customers and create new products continuously. In this fascinating interview, Jeff summarizes what he's learned working with enterprise leaders and pinpoints the speed bumps that get in the way of effective lean product development. Do you trust your teams to do good work? If you hire good people and you've given them good problems to solve and you've incentivized them properly, they will do good work, but you have to trust them to do that. And it's missing in a lot of organizations. There are more incentive structures uh, built around shipping than anything else. Like, did you launch the iPhone app? Did you ship that feature? Did you integrate that vendor? Whatever it is. And that is what people get rewarded for. And if that's what they're getting rewarded for, that's what they're going to manage to. And that's so, so the system struggles to change. If you've ever struggled to get your team or organization to adopt lean principles the way that you think they should, you're going to love hearing what Jeff has to say. Listen in and discover how an enterprise expert approaches change management that really works. Welcome, Jeff, to the Getting to Alpha podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm delighted to have you here. Let's start by getting a whirlwind tour of your background. How did you get started working in design and tech? And what did you decide to pursue along the way? Sure. So I was um, I was a broke musician coming out of college. I, I tried for a few years uh, to be a, uh, a rock star in a couple of different bands. And uh, well, these things happened, didn't work out <laughs> the way I planned. And this was happening. This was kind of culminating. In the, in the late 90s, the mid to late 90s, uh, as the web was appearing and becoming a thing. And so uh, the, the, perhaps the, the good and the bad thing of the late 90s was if you could spell HTML, you could get a job back then. And uh, that certainly was no, no different for me. I started pick, building websites, kind of picking apart websites for my band and other bands. And then I got a job um, working as a services company in the web 1.0 days. And uh, that was a job as, an, as a front-end developer, which is a much different role than it is today, uh, much, much more simple, much easier job back then, and doing some graphic design. And then um, over the years, that translated from you know, front-end development and graphic design into information architecture. So I read the Polar Bear book, the Rosenfeld Morville book. Uh, that really transformed my life uh, back in 1999, 2000. And then the IA work that I started doing translated into more UX work and interaction design as the web became more interactive. I ended up moving firmly into UX, uh, you know, in, in the mid-2000s when I worked at companies like AOL and Web Trends. And, um, and then when I came back to the East Coast about nine years ago, I ended up at a company called The Ladders, where I was tasked with building a UX team. And that company was transitioning into an agile working model at the time. So my job was now twofold. It was not only to build a team, 
but to figure out how to make Agile and UX work together. And that's really where a lot of the ideas, a, a lot, that's really kind of the pivot point in, in my career. So up until that point, I was doing straight ahead design work, UX work, team leadership, team building, that type of thing, product design work. And then when we started moving to the Agile UX stuff, it eventually became what we ended up calling Lean UX. And as soon as we started publishing the ideas around that, the conversation shifted for me personally from uh, help us design this product to help us design our process. And uh, that led to uh, the, the, the world of consulting that I do now, fueled by the Lean UX book and certainly no shortage of, of conference appearances and that type of thing. That's great. What was the thing that first prompted you to start sharing your knowledge by writing and speaking and teaching others about design? What are the topics that you're most passionate about that are near and dear to your heart? Yeah, so this started again, uh, when I was tasked with building that design team in, in an Agile environment, the first thing that I did was I went to Google and I searched Agile and UX. And uh, there wasn't a lot there, but what was there was, was almost all negative. Failure, failure, failure. This, these, you know, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. We got to figure out how to get away from this Agile thing if we want to do good design work. And in speaking to the people who wrote those posts, I learned a lot of anti-patterns and, and then figuring out how to work through those anti-patterns led to some successes. And given the, the dearth of success stories or even any tactics about how to make these two things work well together, I figured some people might be interested in this. And so we started blogging about it, writing about what we were doing and how we were doing it, doing some podcasts, that type of thing. And, and it took off like wildfire. It really was. People were starving for this type of information. They were looking for some folks who had made it work. And that became really interesting. And so we codified that. I codified that in an article uh, five years ago in Smashing Magazine called Lean UX, Getting Out of the, of the Deliverables Business. And that really sparked a global conversation around the ideas of design, agile, lean startup, Etc. And what does that look like in a modern, uh, increasingly continuous, increasingly agile world? And so that, for a long time, was what was near and dear to my heart, was making sure that design had a clear role to play in the product development process as it became agile, which, you know, in, in the traditional waterfall world, there was clearly, there was always a place for design. It was there. There was a design phase. It usually came after uh, the define phase. Um, but in Agile, it became less clear. And so that was my, my passion for a long time, was making sure that design had a clear uh, presence in the Agile software development world. And that really fueled a global conversation and drove a lot of the work and the consulting work and the consulting company that I helped uh, build at NEO for four years. You know, what's interesting is that after a while, there's only so much change you can make at the team level before it starts to hit changes that need to happen at the management level. And that's where I've been focusing lately. And so the stuff that's near and dear to my heart has evolved in the last couple of years to be far uh, greater in scope and really looking at how organizations are structured how organizations are designed, how companies manage in a world that is increasingly 
being driven by software. So, you know, these days my passion is convincing executives that they're in the software business, no matter what it is that they actually provide, and that managing software businesses is different than the classical management model, the manufacturing industrial area management model that's been taught in business schools for the last hundred years. So that's really what I've been working on uh, lately. And it's really interesting how that's transitioned from, uh, from design uh, to, uh, to designing products to really designing organizations. So tell us two or three key ideas about how designing organizations is different than the classical management model, just to give us something to chew on. Because you've got a head of steam and a lot of passion around this. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's interesting. The, um, I think the biggest quality that an executive or an executive team or an organization has to adopt is a quality of humility. That is the key to all of it at the end of the day. And, and in an industrial model, there is less risk. And if there's less risk, you can, uh, people successfully operated with less humility. Well, now, what I mean by that is that let's assume you're making um, a car, for example. You know exactly what the car is going to look like when it's done. You know exactly what components need to go into it. You have a clear sense of what the cost to produce the car is. You have a clear sense of, pretty good sense of what you're going to sell it for, what your profits are going to be. Um, and you have a pretty good sense of what people are going to do with that car. In that situation, there's a lot of knowns. And so the risk is a lot lower. And so the focus is really on efficiency and the optimization of the production process, of the manufacturing process. When you're managing a software business, all those things are unknown, right? Software essentially is never done. In a continuous world, software is never done. And you really don't know what your customers are going to do with it when you deliver it to market. And you don't know if it's going to work exactly the way that you hoped. And you don't know what it's going to look like. And so adopting a position of humility simply means as an organization, as a leader, as a team, we're still going to have a strong opinion about what we believe this product should do and how it should behave and how it should look and what the experience should be. But we're going to work to learn quickly whether those opinions are actually true. And in the face of evidence that refutes our initial set of assumptions, we are willing to change course. And that's really the key. The key is, is, is this ability to say, it has to be, you have to have the ability to say, look, I was wrong about this. And you have to work in an environment that embraces that. It says, okay, you were wrong about that. Tell me why you think you were wrong and what do you think we should do next? And then move on to, based on evidence to the next possibility for solving that particular customer need or business problem. And everything flows from that. Everything flows from that position of humility, how we incentivize our teams, how we uh, assign work to those teams, how we measure success. All of those things change. I mean, really, fundamentally, if you think about it, the success of car manufacturing is how many cars did you manufacture? And then ultimately, how many did you sell? And uh, what we're looking for in software-driven businesses is customer behaviors, as opposed to the number of features that you launched or how many people were actually using the feature. It's more about, did we get customers to use the service? Did we get them to use it regularly? Did it make them more successful in life or at work? Do they tell their friends about it? Do they pay us for it? Right? Those are all the kinds of things that we, can, that we can measure. And you can optimize your efforts based on 
those customer success metrics as opposed to did we ship 10 features this month? And that, that's really the biggest change in all of this. Wow. Is that a problem that as you travel around the world, and I know that you've been, you know, and you're in great demand and you've been all over the world, do people come up and share with you that that's a problem in their organization? Yeah. I mean, the short answer is yes, um, and everywhere. It's, it's, a, it's, it's the reason, really, I mean, it's the reason that inspired uh, Josh Side and I to write our second book, Sense and Respond, was the overwhelming feedback from the people who read the Lean UX book, the overwhelming feedback from the teams that I work with, and even the, you know, the middle managers and senior executives that I work with is, that's not how we operate. Uh, you know, we work in a place that, assumes that the manager has the answer and that knows that the manager knows exactly what needs to happen and when it needs to happen. And if that doesn't happen, then someone gets in trouble. And so reconfiguring the culture of these organizations is a huge challenge and it's prevalent everywhere, everywhere, all over the, all over the world, certainly all over the United States, um, in, in every domain, in every industry. Um, there's still this mentality that, uh, you know, it's, it's, look, it, it comes down to a level of trust. If you're an executive or, or a manager, and you're, you're entrusted with a particular business unit or a product or a service. It's, it's a question of, do you trust your teams to do good work? And if you've hired good people and you've given them good problems to solve and you've incentivized them properly, they will do good work, but you have to trust them to do that. And it's missing in a lot of organizations and again, I think this, this comes down to not just humility, but incentive structures. There are more incentive structures uh, built around shipping than anything else. Like, did you launch the iPhone app? Did you ship that feature? Did you integrate that vendor? Whatever it is. And that is what people get rewarded for. And if that's what they're getting rewarded for, that's what they're going to manage to. And that's so, so the system struggles to change. And we're going to get more into that sense and respond book in a moment. So stay tuned. So as you travel the world, you hear these stories, as you roll up your sleeves and work with your clients and executives, what are some of the most common mistakes that you see well-meaning product creators making in the early stages of testing their ideas? I, I mean, it still amazes me how few customers see the idea in its most nascent state. Um, there's still this belief, still, given that Lean Startup's been out for five years, that the idea of, of customer, obviously, user research has been around forever, but even, even the modern version, customer development, and all that has been around for years at this point. It still amazes me how few organizations, teams, designers, product makers get their ideas in front of their potential audience, their target audience in its earliest stages. And, you know, how much investment is made down paths that are never going to succeed. And it's done under the best of intentions. It's, it's not like these, these folks are out there to, to sabotage themselves or projects that they're working on. You know, I think they feel like they're showing their work early. But in my opinion, they're waiting way, way, way too long and they're staffing up and investing far too much in efforts that haven't proven that they bear fruit yet. And I see this not just, I, I, you know, I, frankly, I work with middle and large organizations more so than startups, um, but I've certainly seen it in startups, but I see it in large organizations all the time. Large organizations that mean well, 
they've read, you know, Lean Startup, they've read Innovator's Dilemma, they, they know they got to carve out this team and they got to give them some time and funding. But then, you know, instead of giving it to five people for six months and seeing what they come up with, they immediately dump 75 people in this unit and fund them for two years and, and hope that something good will come of it. And, and again, it's, it's, it's an unwarranted investment given that nothing's been proven. And to me, that's, that's the biggest mistake that I see is there's still this, this sense that, no, 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 we can't show that to customers just yet, uh, regardless of the state of the thing. And, and that, um, unfortunately, yields, yields a lot of waste and a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, bad products. Wow. So how do you approach early testing and iteration on your own products? For instance, you have this awesome new book coming out. You mentioned it's based on a lot of feedback. Did you test early versions? How did you decide that that was the thing to pursue? Great question. You know, as, as a lot of folks know, the book publishing industry is probably the most unlean, <laughs> unagile uh, industry in the, in the world. It's still very, very linear, very waterfall. And so we wanted to, and when I say we, it's Josh Seiden and I, uh, wanted to pitch our new book idea based on not just our opinion that people want this material, but that this material has value and is, we, can, we can prove that out. And so part of that, yes, so there's, there's ways to do that. Now, obviously, we were lucky in that we got to write a book before that. And so we've been collecting feedback on that for the last three and a half years. And people, that book continues to sell very well every month. And people continue to give us feedback, whether it's Amazon reviews or emails or you know, tweets or, or whatever it is. We still get a sense of, of how people are dealing with the issues in that book. So that's one. In assessing that we wanted to write a new book, it was time to test some ideas. And the way that I do it is, uh, you know, incremental investments. So the first thing I do is tweets. I tweet on topics that I think are interesting that would potentially make it into the book. Maybe they're chapter headers. Maybe they're just stuff that we put into a table of contents. And I see the kind of reaction that it gets. You know, how does it spark conversation? Does it get retweets? Does it get likes? And if that's the case, uh, I'll invest a little bit more. Maybe we'll uh, try a few more tweets in that direction or write something for my blog about it, you know, a few, a few hundred words to see how that conversation resonates. And if that seems to go well, can escalate that, uh, elevate the level of effort to a medium post or something along those lines. Again, again, all of that starts to drive an increased level of investment in a, uh, in, in a topic, in a particular path. And that's really helped shape uh, a lot of the content in the book. It's really get a sense, getting a sense of what's, what's resonating. There's, there's only so far you can go with that, at least in, in traditional book publishing, which is the path that we've chosen. Because after a while, you, you sort of have to then commit to a manuscript, get it written, and get it submitted. And, and then, you know, that becomes the snapshot in time that's a, that's a printed book. So there is, there is some, some incremental product development based on feedback that's, that's built into it. But after a while, I just kind of have to commit to it. Yeah, and then I noticed uh, Eric Reese did a Kickstarter to test the waters, et cetera. So it's, you know, there's a lot of different ways to see what it is that people actually want. But uh, getting it into a book form is, it's painful because you have to freeze it in time. And, you know, lean is great because it can keep changing, but it means it'll reach so many people. Yeah. A lot of people need that message. Yeah, it's it's it still amazes me how impactful a book can be in 2016. You know, just given how much content is being generated, good. I mean, there's a lot of crap out there for sure, but there's a lot of good content. 
out there too. And so uh, it, it's amazing to me that books still resonate uh, as, as much as they do. Well, it's form factor and like it's the entryway into a whole world uh, that's really easy to pick up and read on a plane or on a vacation or, you know, et cetera. So you've had this amazing career from design to agile consultant and author and workshop leader. What do you feel is your sweet spot as a designer, as a creator, as a coach? What kind of projects light you up the most? That's a really good question because it's definitely shifting these days. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm in a bit of a transition, I think, personally, uh, right about now, because I, I think for, for years, the answer would have been, you know, an interesting, complicated customer problem to solve in, in a product scenario. And I, I still have that passion and, and would love to, to go back to that again, but I'm not currently doing that kind of work. The thing that really is interesting to me the impact is trying to have a meaningful impact on larger organizations as they begin to cope with the realities of 21st century business. So, you know, we talked about you know, software, you know, the way that any business of scale or any business that seeks to scale in the 21st century is a, is a software business first. And so it's, it's reconciling that with their traditional business models and management models, and then helping them reshape the way that they run their businesses. And to me, that's, that's really interesting. And so getting in there with a large company, and look, I recognize the daunting nature of those assignments, but I think that's part of what's exciting about it. And if you can get in there and even make a little bit of a dent, make things a little bit better, more successful, um, I'm going to say more agile, but at lowercase a, agile, right? Greater agility, I think that that's what's really interesting to me, and that's what that's what I really uh, enjoy doing right now, and where I'm focusing a lot of my efforts. Awesome. So, what trends are you seeing that are new and exciting in design and tech? Like, whose work are you paying attention to? There's a lot going on. What's relevant in your world? That's, uh, yeah, really interesting because the design. The word design in that is, is really broad for me. I mean, every, I, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in products. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on in organizational design. You know, what's interesting to me, I think at the product level, uh, I don't have one yet, but the, uh, the Amazon Echo is a really interesting device. Um, you know, this just kind of came out of the blue and became a big hit for them. I'm, I'm curious. I, I haven't interacted with one yet, but that one's really interesting. Again, at the product level, I had my first uh, a virtual reality experience at a conference in Poland uh, not too long ago and was really blown away. I, I, I expected it to be clunky and, and uh, not interesting. And it was so, I mean, they literally, they, they, they put you in a scenario in this particular demo where you're a rock climber on the side of a cliff and the guy is telling me in my, in my headphones, he says, jump, jump off the cliff. And I couldn't do it, you know, knowing full well it was, it was not real. Um, so I was really blown away. So there's a, I think there's a tremendous opportunity there to see how that materializes. And it seems like there's a lot of companies doubling down on that. And then I think more broadly, work, work that's more relevant to me, into, I mean, to the work that I'm doing right now, you know, the, there's the folks, the folks that I've been, I've been watching and admiring for years to see, to, to see what they're doing. I think there's interesting uh, work. Uh, Jeff Patton's been doing great work for years. I'm always curious to see what he's doing. Um, doing a little bit of work with Barry O'Reilly, who wrote Lean Enterprise, 
to see what he's doing. Um, been hanging out with some of the folks, some of the faculty from uh, Lean Startup Company, so Aubrey Smith and Jonathan Birdfield and those, uh, those folks over there. And again, smart folks doing really interesting work. Um, I've really taken a lot away from Christina Woodkey's uh, OKR book, Radical Focus, uh, which was a terrific, a terrific read and a great intro to that topic. So those are the folks that uh, I've been paying attention to a lot lately. Great. We'll be sure to include those links in the show notes. So where's your focus these days? What's coming up on the horizon that's exciting for you? So the release of our new book, Sense and Respond, is the most exciting thing on the horizon. We're looking for that to come out in uh, late November, early December of 2016. And it's coming out on Harvard Business Press. And it's, it's been two years of work, of research, of case studies, of putting together this uh, practical introduction to what it means to manage a continuously learning business fueled by software. So that's, that's the biggest thing on the horizon right now. Wow, that's exciting. And we'll be sure to include a way for folks to sign up for pre-release notice. Absolutely. And in fact, you can pre-order it on Amazon. It's up on Amazon at the moment. So you can, you can sign up for our mailing list at senseandrespond.co or there's a link there to pre-order it as well, which we'd be eternally grateful for. Awesome. Now, you also mentioned that there may be some new workshops coming up. Is that something that you're ready to talk a little bit about? So, so you, you asked me earlier how we test and validate our work. So uh, yes, the short answer is yes, there is a new workshop coming out. We are in the beta test phase of it now. So we're running um, very small, uh, low-cost MVPs, experiments of this workshop to learn how well this new material is resonating, where it's working, where it's not. And my goal is by the fall to have it ready for uh, broader, uh, just kind of get back out there and teach the workshop. Now, the focus of the workshop is advanced. It's, it's called Lean... Uh, Lean for Leaders, or uh, it's essentially, it's the it's the next class. So, if, if you've taken one of my Lean UX workshops, then this is the the next step in that process. This is the you 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 know what hypotheses are, you know what experiments are, you know what assumptions are, and now you're trying to manage a team or run multiple experiments or do product uh, delivery and discovery at the same time. And how how do you handle that? And I think that that is. Something, again, based on feedback from the other workshops is, okay, what's next after this? This is the new workshop. So we hope to have that done. Uh, that should be out in the fall like once these, uh, these MVPs shake out some of the bugs. Nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your amazing story. And I'm very excited about the work you're doing now. It sounds like it could be really impactful. Thanks so much for having me. This was, this was great. And I, I, I'm excited about it too. And, and I hope we can catch up again in the future and share how, how hopefully some, some good impact case studies and stories. Gotta love the case studies. <laughs> All right. Talk to you soon, Jeff. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Getting to Alpha with Amy Jo Kim, the shows that help you innovate faster and smarter. Be sure to check out our website, gettingtoalpha.com. That's getting2alpha.com for more great resources and podcast episodes.